Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today is a little different because I want to talk to you about you. I want to talk about your social anxiety because I'm sure a big chunk of you out there do have social anxiety. And that is because social anxiety is the most common form of anxiety. So there's over 15 million people in the world who have social anxiety, which is crazy. And anxiety in general and social anxiety have a very strong genetic component. So if you're raising a child with anxiety or OCD, it is more likely that you're going to have some form of anxiety. And it's even more likely that that form of anxiety might be social anxiety because it's the most common form of anxiety. So I get this because of course I have it. (laughs) What don't I have? No, but social anxiety really is legitimately my albatross. It is my biggest issue to bear on a personal level. And of course my little people have flavors of social anxiety because my offspring are doomed (laughs) to have some form of anxiety or OCD. And my oldest has some social anxiety and my little ones have sprinkle of social anxiety as well. So it's frequently a topic that we are covering in my home so that it doesn't debilitate my kids the way that it actually had debilitated me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my backstory on social anxiety, and then I want to move into how to help you navigate through your own social anxiety. So I have treated social anxiety since I've been in my practice. So that's been over 13 years. I've been dealing with kids with social anxiety and even parenting my kids with social anxiety issues. But it wasn't until I had to kind of go a little bit into the limelight, like modestly into the limelight and talk to strangers. After I wrote my first book, I had to be interviewed and I created my website, anxioustoddlers.com to support my book, How to Parent Your Anxious Toddler. And it morphed into its own little thing. And it has become kind of more of just an anxiety and OCD website, which moved into the podcast, which moved into a YouTube channel. And so I've had to do a lot of things that were way, way, way out of my comfort zone. And that is when I realized, oh my gosh, not only am I an introvert, because I used to always chalk up any kind of struggle or avoidance that I had with being an introvert. I'd be like, well, it's because I'm an introvert. I don't really want to go because I'm an introvert. I don't have any friends, but it's because I'm an introvert. And yeah, a big part was that I am an introvert and I, I have all the introvert qualities where I like to recharge at home. I don't like a lot of small talk, uh, all the wonderful, I think qualities of being an introvert, but also on top of my introvertedism was social anxiety. And so some things were because of social anxiety and not because I was an introvert. And that's what I was smushing together. So let's talk a little bit about social anxiety in general. I think a lot of times as parents, we start to see ourselves more clearly because our children reflect things in ourselves. So we see things in our children that remind us or reminiscent of our own struggles, or we try to help our kids. And as we're helping them, we actually realize we're helping ourselves. And being a parent puts you in situations that are unavoidable. And many of us, myself included, have spent a lot of time 
in our lives, avoiding situations that will trigger any sort of social anxiety. But when you have kids, you have to take them to that birthday party, even though you're like, please shoot me in the head. I'd rather die. And you have to interact with teachers and there's, there's just a lot more that you can't control that you have to be around people. (laughs) That sounds horrible, but you have to like, you have to go to soccer practice or you have to deal with mom groups. Like you have to do things that you're not going to want to necessarily do where when you didn't have kids, if you didn't want to go to that work party, you just didn't have to go. So there, you had a lot more control over just avoiding situations that were going to trigger your social anxiety. So it is never, ever too late to work on your social anxiety. And I know a lot of times people think, you know what? I've been living with this for my whole life. I just want to help my kids. I don't want it to impact them, but I want to focus on them and not me. You know, that old saying, you know, give yourself oxygen before you give it to your kids. You know what they tell you on airplanes. There really is a lot of truth to that because if you're not feeling good, if you're not a hundred percent, or if you're feeling triggered all the time because of all the things that you have to do as a parent that are going to be a struggle with your social anxiety, it's good to work on it. One, so you can feel confident Two, You won't realize how unhappy you are until you get rid of social anxiety. So let's go into a little bit about how social anxiety impacts people generally. So it hides because it makes you think that your perceptions are real. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned is that most of my perceptions were skewed and they were skewed based on social anxiety and not on anything about myself. So social anxiety tends to make you feel like you're on stage. It makes you think that you are being judged. So when you're in public or you're around other people and you're not in the privacy of your own, your own home, you think that people are paying attention to you and they're staring at you. Maybe they're criticizing you or judging you. We tend to be ultra sensitive around criticism or judgment. And so we worry about what other people think. We don't want people to hate us. We don't want conflict. We don't want confrontation. We don't want the spotlight on us. And because we're so hyper-focused on all of those areas, we misread things often because we pick up on even the smallest social cue. So the good part about people who are socially anxious is we tend to be really good at picking up on social cues, (laughs) but we're actually too good. So when somebody looks away or when someone doesn't give us enough eye contact or they don't ask us enough about ourselves, we're very quick to, to see that as a rejection. And we're also very quick to personalize things and not externalize things. So if somebody is quick to get off the phone with us, then it's something that we did wrong. Or if someone doesn't text us right back, it's not because they're busy or life is very hectic. It's because we did something wrong. So Um, I kind of joke that like I'm a conspiracy theorist because I'll always find a way that it's about me and it's bad. (laughs) None of them are responding to me because they all got together and they all hate me. And so they're not inviting me or something like that. I mean, that sounds really paranoid, but I do have to say that social anxiety makes you incredibly paranoid. But the worst part about social anxiety is that you don't realize that it's paranoia. For a very long time, I thought that those perceptions were accurate. I thought, you know what? For some reason, people just don't like me and I don't know why. And once I started dealing with social anxiety, I realized 
That wasn't the case at all. I was one interpreting that I was avoiding situations. I was avoiding people. And then when we're in social situations, when we're uncomfortable, we don't give off a very warm, fuzzy vibe. I don't want to talk to anybody. If they talk to me, my guard will go down and I'll be really friendly. And they'll be like, wow, she's really nice. But I wouldn't approach other people and start a conversation. So I really feel like there are three main things that help with social anxiety. And they're all equally important. So the first one is dealing with the paranoia. So the perception is often skewed. And you have to train your brain to realize what is really happening and what your social anxiety is telling you what is happening. Because more often than not, those are actually two different things. And so we will, we will infer a lot of stuff, infer a lot of things about a situation based on our own social anxiety and not reality. So you might read an email and you might see the tone is all wrong, or you might get a text and you might think, well, that's kind of rude, you know, just the way they said it or the way they, you know, didn't really say anything else after it will infer things. And, and a lot of times then we take action because of that, which is often incorrect because we're assuming that maybe somebody is being cold or hostile or doesn't like us. And so we act in maybe a cold or hostile way, or, um, we're more distant to them because we're afraid of rejection and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then they are a little bit more distant because we're being distant, but we're being distant because we read into our social interaction that was probably incorrect. And now we're kind of out a friend or that relationship is a little strained And we actually created that ourselves because of our social anxiety. So the first step is definitely to look at your perceptions. And before you react, you want to take a second and a third look and say, objectively, what is happening? Let me read this text again, or let me go over the social interaction again. And this is what they said, not what I thought they said based on their body language or their tone. Take all of the subjective elements out and objectively look at just the interaction And then you want to say to yourself, could this be because of something else? So could they be tired? Could they be exhausted? Could they have a lot going on? Um, Were they busy in that moment? Or maybe they didn't like the person next to me. And so they, they were quick to leave. You know, does it, could it have something to do with someone else other than me? So you want to look at your paranoia. And two, you also want to look at how you view yourself. And I know that sounds completely cheesy, but I didn't realize how interconnected, how we view ourselves is related to our social anxiety, because basically we want everyone's approval and we see ourselves as not good enough, not smart enough, not funny enough, not cool enough, something not enough. And so we have an insecurity and our social anxiety will hone in on whatever that insecurity is. So I just got done doing an online class for social anxiety because I told you, I just love this stuff and I made it. It was initially going to be just for kids and it was going to be for kids 10 and up. And as I was doing it, it was really helping me, which I know sounds really weird, but it was really helping me. And so I was like, you know, forget this. I'm making this for everybody. This is great for adults. So in my online class, I help you go through what your core trigger is, what your 
not enough is, what your social anxiety is lying to you about, because that will be different for each one of us. And so for some of us, it might be, you know, I don't want to look dumb. And so it has nothing to do with intelligence, but it might be like, I don't want people to think I'm not smart enough. And so anything related to maybe me making a mistake, I'm going to have a problem with that. And, and so I have that. So when I was little and I would have to read in class, I would be petrified because I thought, what if I stumble on, on a word when I'm reading, I don't want people to think that I'm dumb and I wasn't dumb and I'm not dumb, but I was worried that people would think I wasn't smart enough. So other people don't have that. They have social anxiety, but maybe they worry they're not cool enough. You know, like I'm not one of those cool moms. Like I'm not one of the mom groups and I, I don't want people to know that about me. And so whenever I'm in a social interaction, my social anxiety will lie to me and say, see, you're just not cool enough. They're all talking about whatever cool moms talk about. (laughs) I don't know. And I'm not one of them. So in my class, I talk about finding your core fear that your social anxiety is lying to you about. And it tends to focus on, I'm not something enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough, whatever it is for you, it will be different for each person. And this is the same for our kids who have social anxiety. It's they're, they are insecure in some area that they're not something enough and they feel like they're going to be excluded or rejected or slighted because of that. So you really want to find what that is for you. And in my online class, I talk about how to figure that out because then you want to reframe it. So you want to work on your paranoia. You want to work on reframing your thinking of what you're ever, you're not enough of and boost your self-esteem. When you boost your self-esteem and you start to say, you know what? I don't have to be the coolest person in the world, or I don't have to prove to everybody else that I'm smart because I know my intelligence and I don't really care if you don't think I'm smart enough or funny enough or pretty enough or whatever enough to you because I know I'm enough. And I know we're all not perfect. I'm going to have flaws, but I'm going to start to really like who I am. Now I sound like a cheesy therapist. (laughs) I know that. I know that. But that is honestly one of the most powerful ways to get over social anxiety is to start believing in yourself because we spent a lot of time and especially those with social anxiety tearing ourselves down and that parentally, that's not that great either because we do it in front of other people and we do it in front of our little people. And so when we start to believe in ourselves, we start to come out of our shell and we start to be our quirky selves. And we don't say things in front of our kids like, oh, I'm too fat or that was so dumb or why did I do that? We tend to respect ourselves more. And so ironically in my class, I spent a lot of time talking about building your self-esteem because that's not an easy thing to do. I actually find it kind of tricky to, to authentically build your self-esteem. So, and I'll talk a little bit more about about that, but I want to get to my three points. So you're going to work on the way that you think your paranoia, what is really happening versus what your social anxiety is telling you is happening. You're working on your self-esteem so that you're, you are enough. You're enough for you. The third one, which is the most important one, but I think I said that about number two as well. (laughs) So whatever, but you need number two for number three. Number three is not caring about fitting in, not caring about social rejection, not caring if people have something negative to say about you or think something negative about you, 
not not caring in a bad way, like I don't care about anybody, but not caring in the way that it's not going to devastate you and make you want to hide in a hole for the rest of your life. (laughs) Because sometimes that's how it feels with social anxiety. Like one small slight a few years ago for me, and I just didn't want to deal with people ever again. I didn't want to go on my computer. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I felt overwhelmed and I wanted to avoid the feeling of rejection so intensely that I wanted to just avoid people. Can you relate to that? Because it's like, ugh, it feels so horrible. You just don't want to put yourself out there. But guess what that is? That's social anxiety. It is. So if you can attack those three areas, your perceptions, your self-esteem, like your core self-esteem, and not caring what other people think, guess what happens to social anxiety? It goes away and you become a better person because of it. Because then when you go out and somebody maybe doesn't smile at you, you say, huh, maybe they're having a bad day. And then you say, and if they're not having a bad day and they just don't like me, you know, I'm okay with that still because I like myself and I'm, I'm not going to be everybody's flavor and that's okay. You don't have to have a zillion friends and you don't have to have a zillion people like you as long as you like yourself. I know that was cheesy, but seriously, it's true. So let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. So social anxiety will start off with a lie. So it'll start off with a lie that it constantly tells you about. So, and it tends to be a lie that's related to your insecurity of whatever you're not enough of. So let's just make up a story. Let's say your social anxiety, one of the lies that it's selling you is you're not cool enough. You know, all the other moms are into blah, blah, blah. I don't even know because I don't care. And you're not. And so it makes you think that there's this huge mommy click that everybody is involved in, but you, and that you're not cool enough. And they really don't want to have you included because there's something less than about you. So let's say you go to a birthday party and you have that lie in your head. And so you're feeling already nervous. I don't really talk to any of the moms. They all talk to each other and they're all friends and I'm not. These are all assumptions, by the way. You don't know that for sure. Maybe you do, but let's just pretend that you don't. And and you do have to kind of weigh out what is reality and what is your perception because I assumed a lot of stuff. I would go into like a birthday party and I would assume that everybody is hanging out every weekend and I'm not there and they all know each other. And that really isn't probably reality. It's just whatever your social anxiety is constantly telling you. So social anxiety will paint a reality that a big chunk of the time is not accurate. So, okay, so let's use my example. So you go to this party with this perception. So you're wearing your social anxiety glasses at the party and you go in there and there's maybe there's some moms around and they're all talking. Well, your social anxiety might say, see, they all know each other. This is so awkward. And they're staring at you when they're like, why is she here? Or, oh, look at her. She's just standing there awkwardly. That's sad for her. And so now, because you've already told yourself that because social anxiety is constantly narrating what you do and how you do it. Now you're feeling even more uncomfortable because you're like, I'm standing here and I have no friends and everybody's noticing that. And they're probably thinking, oh, that's so pathetic. She's just standing there. How awkward for her. And so then you're feeling even more uncomfortable. So you're holding yourself maybe in an awkward way, or you're trying to look at your phone and look busy, right? Does this sound familiar? And you're feeling really, really 
uncomfortable. And so then maybe you go home and you feel even more rejected because no one came up and talked to you because you made sure to avoid eye contact because you were feeling embarrassed. You stared at your phone because you didn't want to look like you were standing there awkwardly. So you kept busy. But if you think about it objectively, does a woman just staring at her phone, making zero eye contact, hiding in a corner at a party, invite any kind of welcoming gesture from anybody else? No, you're not very open and welcoming and warm, right? So of course, the the self-fulfilling prophecy would be no one's going to come up to you and say hi or talk to you. And people are going to probably not be very warm and friendly because you're not giving a warm and friendly vibe. Now, let's say you were just an introvert and you went to the party and your social anxiety was in check and you said, you know what? I love myself. I don't really care. And I really don't need approval. And I, maybe some of these people know each other. Maybe they don't. It doesn't matter to me. And you stood there with your phone or without your phone, but you felt okay. You didn't need to interact with people because you're introverted and you're like, I don't really need to have contact with you at this kid's birthday party because I really don't care. And you felt good. You sat there, you enjoyed your child smiling and laughing and you went home and there was no beat yourself up in the car ride home of like, why can't I talk to other people? Why can't I talk to parents? That was horrible. There's none of that. It was just like, Hey, that was a good party for my kid. Now let me move on and do something that I enjoy. That's the difference between being an introvert and having social anxiety is one is excruciatingly painful (laughs) and the other one is not. So it would be nice to get you to the point where you could go to a party. And even if you're an introvert, you didn't have to interact. And if you're an extrovert and you're being crushed by social anxiety, then it'd be nice to get rid of the whole, I'm not great enough so that you could interact and leave the party feeling great. So I am an introvert. So I actually am probably one of those people that would want to go to the party and really probably not talk to too many people or maybe find one person who I have a lot in common with, but they would probably have to approach me because I'm still not going to approach people, but I'm not going to be awkward and uncomfortable because I've worked on my social anxiety. It's still kind of a work in progress, to be honest, but it's a lot better than it was because I would just not even go to the party. (laughs) I would just avoid the party completely. Parties are still not my friend, but that's mainly because I'm an introvert and I just too much energy can zap me. So you want to figure out what you're telling yourself, pay attention to your internal dialogue, because that is really key. What are the constant things you're telling yourself? Because I was constantly narrating things in my world and in my life that were not positive. And it wasn't until I really hyper-focused on my internal dialogue, like what thoughts I'm having, what am I telling myself that I realized, wow, most of this is really negative. And so I, I worked on that. I stopped saying mean things to myself. And I started forcing myself to find positive things about myself. I also forced myself to start thinking of alternative possibilities. So if somebody would do something to me, I would get really upset and offended or slighted. That was kind of like my go-to emotion. And it still sometimes is because just because you work on social anxiety doesn't mean social anxiety is done with you. And I have a rule now in my head when I feel that like uncomfortable rejection in my heart, (laughs) it sounds so horrible. That's where it hurts. I, I force myself to think of, could this be for any other reason? So let's say I get a nasty email or I have a nasty interaction with somebody and I feel like, well, that was unwarranted. I didn't do anything to you. 
I will pause and I will think, could anything else be going on? It kind of reminds me of this story I once heard, and I don't even know the basis of it, but somebody was talking about how like, it was a story about somebody was just speeding along and they were like riding right up on them and they were like beeping at them on the highway and then they swerved and they kept on going. And the person was like, oh my gosh, that is so rude. What is that person's problem? And had all this road rage about this person. And then, you know, they, it turned out, I don't even know the story. I'm not very good. So I'm going to put myself down. I was going to say, I'm not very good at telling stories, but that's not true. I'm great at telling stories. I just don't remember how the story unfolded or even like who I heard the story from. But then they went by and they saw the person and the person had uh, like a bleeding child in the car and they were rushing to the hospital. It doesn't matter. The point is we make these assumptions and we really sometimes don't know the whole story. That's like the whole purpose of that story. So we don't know. Somebody might be rude to us, but we don't know. Maybe there's something else going on in their world. So a lot of times I'll think of alternative possibilities. I'll say, well, you know, they maybe they didn't get back to me because something really big is going on in their life right now. Or maybe they're like short and snippy with me because they're having a really rough day. I force myself to think of external possibilities other than they hate my guts and I'm not good enough. Because <laughs> it's not always that. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes people legitimately hate your guts or my guts. And we do rub people the wrong way. And that is where the self-esteem and the I don't care what you think part comes in. Because now, I don't care what you think. I mean, I care what you think to a degree. But if you disagree with what I think, or you're not finding that I am your flavor, that's okay. Because I don't need that acceptance. I don't. We can't have the world accepting us. And so when you embrace the good, bad, and ugly of who you are, And you really start to say, well, I really like components of myself. Now, a cheesy thing to do would be to like either imagine that you're talking to your younger self or write a letter to yourself or even just observe yourself or watch a video of yourself and look at yourself. I'm saying self a lot. (laughs) Look at yourself separate from you, if that even makes any sense at all. Because I think sometimes when we look at pictures of ourselves and we think of that person as not who we are, but just as a separate person, we have more empathy because socially anxious people tend to be pretty empathetic, but not for themselves. And so I didn't mean to do this exercise. I don't even know what happened. I think my kids were saying they wanted to see a picture of me when I was younger. So I went and I found these old pictures of me and some of them, not even like from when I was very young, like some of them were from when I was like 30 and I'm like 45 now. So like really not that, that long ago. And I was able to look at those pictures as if that was a separate person. And I had a lot of empathy for that person. And I, I liked that person. I watched videos of myself from when I was younger and I was like, ah, you know, and I would watch those videos and I would think, I remember at that time, I thought that I was really ugly. And I remember at that time that I thought I was a little overweight. And I remember at that time I didn't think that people liked me or that I was even likable. And I'm watching this video and I'm like, I was all of those things. I was cute. I wasn't fat. I was likable. And, and I was able to kind of correct some of my misperceptions and have a lot of empathy for myself. And then I looked at myself in the mirror. I know this is sounding really cheesy, but it really helped. And I was like, I'm still that person. What, what 
positive attributes am I missing now like I was missing then because I'm so busy being negative to myself? Like I'm not viewing myself in a true fashion. I'm viewing myself through social anxieties lenses. What are you doing? What are you viewing that's incorrect right now about yourself? What are you missing that is great about you because you're so busy tearing yourself down? What do other people find great about you in your life? What does your partner or your kids look at you and say, wow, she's so awesome or he's so awesome because of what? Because there are good qualities about you that you're missing. And there were good qualities. There were a lot of good qualities I was missing about myself because how I viewed myself versus who I really was to the outside world were literally two completely different things. And once I merged them and I was like, you know what? I'm embracing this because I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not going to physically look perfect, but I like who I am. And if people are not okay with that, that's okay with me. Cause I don't need, I don't need your acceptance. And so when you kind of get to that point where you're like, I don't need your acceptance and I'm okay with who I am. I may not be cool in your eyes and you know what? I'm okay with that. I may not be as smart as you. I'm okay with that. I may not be as funny as you. Although I think I'm really funny, but my husband does not think I'm funny and I'm okay with that. I tell him, you know what? I don't care if you don't think I'm funny. I think I'm hysterical. And he really, he honestly doesn't think I'm funny. Can you believe that? He's very funny to be fair. Like he's super funny, but I am funny too. And I can say that confidently and not care if anyone else thinks I'm funny (laughs) because that really doesn't define me anyway. It's not like an attribute that I'm really trying to have. But my point is when you embrace yourself, that is going to ooze on top of your kids because they are going to feel your freedom. They're going to feel your momentum. Like I didn't realize how bogged down I was with social anxiety until I got rid of the majority of it. Like I used to walk to drop my kids off at preschool and I would be worried about the two minute walk from the parking lot to the class because I was worried about passing moms on the way to the class. Do I smile at them? Do I not smile at them? Are they going to look at me? Are they not going to look at me? Like that's ridiculous now. I look at that and I think, oh my gosh, How sad that just a walk from the parking lot to a class was that overwhelming for me. Also, interestingly, last year we went to Las Vegas because we live in Phoenix. And so it's actually pretty cheap to just go to Las Vegas. And during the day, Las Vegas isn't really that bad for kids. There's like some really great shows and things that you can take your kids to. And I remember last year, this exact time I went to Vegas and I felt so overwhelmed by not only the crowds because I'm an introvert, but I just felt like people were staring or I had my own paranoia of like, I shouldn't be here with my kids. It was, it was like the social anxiety lie that made me feel like who takes their kids to Las Vegas for spring break. That's bizarre. And so I had that paranoia. And then when you have a paranoia, your social anxiety will look for evidence to prove that you're correct. And so you'll search out for the stares or the rejection or whatever it is that you're feeling insecure about. Let's say your hair doesn't look good that day, or let's say you're worried people are going to think something about you. Your social anxiety will look for evidence to prove that that is true. And so I didn't really enjoy that trip because I felt like I felt uncomfortable and judged. It was weird. We went there again this spring break, because I don't care what you think. (laughs) We saw Blue Man Group. Gosh, they are amazing. And we saw um, Cirque du Soleil, which was an amazing show too. They have some amazing shows there, which were great for the kids. Uh, so, and, and I felt no stress and no judgment. 
And Vegas did not change. The only thing that changed was me. And I didn't realize that I was carrying that even a year ago until we went back this year. And I really enjoyed myself. And I was like, oh my gosh, last year, I think I was carrying a lot of stress that was social anxiety stress. That was totally unrelated to anything other than my own concern about judgment and paranoia. So that's a really weird example, but it just happened. We just got back. And, and I realized how much lighter and happier I am because I don't worry about what other people think. It's ridiculous. Now it will benefit your kids because we talk about it a lot with my three kids. And I'm constantly talking about how we should not care what other people think. I mean, we should care about people, but not about their judgments or about their approval. And my kids will call me on this all the time. And we, we tend to keep each other in check because all of us have some, except my husband, have some component of social anxiety. And so when one of us is worried about how other people are going to think, we kind of all pipe in and say, we shouldn't care about what other people think. So we were um, in Vegas and we were on our way home. We were going to stop to get something to eat. And my oldest daughter had like not brushed her hair and she didn't want to go into the restaurant. And so my little ones are like, you don't need to care about what people think. We're in the middle of the desert. And even if we weren't, who cares what people think? And so she wasn't happy with that because she's a teenager and that's totally normal, but it's on everybody's radar. And they call me on this stuff all the time too, because my son, my middle child, who has a lot of uh, feeding issues. We talked about that in lots of other podcasts. So he's very tiny, although he is doing so much better. And I'll talk about that in some other podcast episode, but he's putting on weight. But anyway, he had a very tiny waist because he has a lot of OCD issues around eating and his pants would not fit him around his waist, but lengthwise, you know, if you have those kids where they have a really tiny waist, but they're long, so annoying. So I would roll up his pants, but then he would have really short, he would look like he's waiting for a flood. And so I got him these drawstring pants where I can like tighten up the waist as tight as I wanted. And so the length wouldn't be weird, but he kind of got into like a little bit of a compulsion where he felt like he had to roll up his pants because I did that. I created that in him because I rolled up his pants all the time. So we would get into these battles because he'd come out of his bedroom and he'd be like wearing these pants rolled up and they'd be like up to his ankles. And I'd be like, you can't wear those to school. That looks ridiculous. And what would he say to me? Mom, we can't care about what people think, right? And then I'd be like, yeah, but they kind of look ridiculous. And he's like, well, I don't care what they look like. And I don't care if people think they look ridiculous and I'm going to wear them. And I had to let him go because he had a good point. I mean, I have to practice what I preach. I was getting nervous about that because I didn't want people to judge me. I don't want them to think that I can't dress my kids or that, um, you know, I don't know, I like, I can't afford to buy him pants that fit him. You know, all the judgments that were put onto him based on my own social anxiety. And he was right. If he was okay with it, then who cares? And we did get into this whole philosophical debate about matching because I don't know if I was talking to him, but he said, mom, I don't know why you keep telling me about matching because I'm not supposed to care about what people think. And I said, he's eight. And I said to him, well, it's like this. I teach you how to eat, right? So I teach you how to use a fork and I teach you how to use a spoon. And if you at, 
at some other point in your life decide, hey, I want to pick up this piece of chicken fingers and eat it with my fingers and not my fork, that's fine. That's your choice. But at least you know how to use a fork. I said matching is the same way. I want to teach you how to match. I want you to understand the basic principles of matching. And then if you choose not to match, that's your deal and that's totally fine. But I still have to teach you that life skill. I just think it's kind of funny that we're having to have this conversation. And the reason why we're having this conversation is because we are constantly talking about not caring about what people think, because that is such a big component of social anxiety. And we also talk about not being perfect. We actually had that big conversation this morning about not being perfect. And we talk about how nobody's perfect. No human being is perfect. And that that is okay. That we're all a work of art in our imperfection. And that's a really big component too for social anxiety, because if we realize that we're all imperfect and that we're not going to fit into everybody's little category of, of maybe what they like, but it's okay because we're all human and there's somebody for everybody, then we can let go of that concern about fitting into everyone's little box and that concern about getting approval and acceptance from everybody. Because we realize, you know, I'm imperfect and I'm going to be who I am and I'm totally awesome in my imperfection. And you may or may not like me and I'm okay with that too, because I can't like everybody and you can't like everybody. And I can't avoid confrontation, not always. And that's okay because it's good to stick up for myself and what I believe in. So that's a little bit about how to start with social anxiety. I know it's not going to completely, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, thank you, Natasha. I listened to this podcast and now boom, I have no social anxiety. It's awesome. No, but I want to give you some food for thought. And if you want to arm yourself with some better skills, you can also go and check out my online social anxiety class called Crush Social Anxiety. And it's for 10-year-olds and up. And um, I kind of walk you through these ideas a little bit more in detail. It's like an online videos and you can take it wherever you want. You can take it on your iPad, take it on your phone, and you can access the class at any time. So for those of you that are looking for a little bit extra help, you can check that out. It's a very long website address, so I will leave a link in the show notes, but I'll also give it to you here. It is now no www. I don't know why, but it's anxious toddlers.teachable.com backslash P as in Paul, uh, crush dash social dash anxiety. So anxious toddlers.teachable.com backslash P backslash crush dash social dash anxiety. <laughs> it's so long, but anyway, you can check that out if you're interested, because in the class, I walk you through this step-by-step step, and then I'm also available in the class for comments, or you can email me and I will uh, offer you kind of your individual support as well. So anyway, I hope you are finding the sparkle in everything you do and not criticizing yourself. And if you aren't, you need to find your sparkle and I'll talk to you next week. If you're enjoying my podcast, don't forget to leave a review or just hit a star on iTunes because my social anxiety likes the approval. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.